When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everybody. Welcome to a new week, new edition of Houston Sports Weekly, our weekly podcast. You can catch it every week on KPRC2+. And, of course, click to Houston.com. Hi, everybody. Randy McAvoy with you. Hope everybody's having a great week and getting ready for the weekend. we got a lot to talk about on the podcast this week. A lot of sound we're coming uh, coming from now, Texans training camp. We're going to uh, dive into that. Segment 2, Astros talk, and Ari Alexander will handle segment two on the broadcast. Hey, as we come to you now, this is day eight. If you're listening or watching here on a Friday, day eight of Texas training camp. Next Thursday, first preseason game, they'll be in Foxborough to take on the New England Patriots and then right back here to continue camp. And in that following week, they'll welcome in the Miami Dolphins for a couple of days of joint workouts ahead of their preseason game uh, number two. Texas camp, you know, you can't read too much into these workouts at least I don't. Uh, some guys look good and bad every single day, to be honest with you. Until they face somebody else, that's all I care about. And from in this case, the Patriots and then those joint workouts with the Miami Dolphins, I'm going to be paying a lot more attention uh, to these position battles as well. But, hey, let's start it off uh, with John Mechie third. He was the big story out there at camp on Thursday, coming back from a leukemia diagnosis from last summer. What a journey back for the former second-round pick in 2022 out of Alabama. Uh, He battled leukemia. He won the battle against leukemia. He's been cleared for camp. He's having a great camp uh, just over a week into it right now. He spoke Thursday at Texans camp. Here's some of that conversation. What's it feel like to be back on the field? This entire year has been eventful for sure. Um, Has its ups and downs, but being back on the field feels great. Um, it's been a long way coming, but um, it definitely feels like a blessing, and it's something you're grateful for every day. John, what was the most challenging part of the journey you went through? Um, the most challenging part. I think there are a lot of challenging things. It challenges you spiritually, mentally, physically, um, of course. Um, I think the most challenging part was kind of just dealing with it with my family, being in a different country for the most part. They would come down, but most of my loved ones were in a different country. Um, so I think that was probably the most challenging part. Was there ever a point where you thought you might not play football again? Yeah, I'm not going to sit here and say no. I feel like at the beginning stages, of course, you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what you, um, the future has in store for you. You, of course, hope that you can. You can overcome it and play football. But I would probably say probably the beginning stages, um, there might have been some doubt. But uh, I've had a strong faith. I had a strong faith then, and I have a strong faith now. So, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Not just my family, my team here, my teammates here, my coaches here, um, my um, old college coaches, Coach Saban and all of them, all the staff, all the old players, they all reached out and they were always with me every step of the way. So um, although my family wasn't here, I had a huge support system from this team and my college team. Iron sharpens iron. Yeah, that's nothing new to me. And a lot of the guys that came from Bama or some of these SEC schools, we kind of had that um, mentality. 
So coming here, that isn't really anything different. And I think working with Sting and the guys is just um, working on our crafts, talking about things that we got each other on in practice, how we can make each other better, um, how we can just help push um, both of our games forward. Um, so I think that's what that's a lot about. Just gratitude. Um, I think that's pretty much what the whole moment was like, just gratitude. I was really grateful um, that day that I was just able to come out here and start playing the game I love again, um, worry-free. I'm just able to play ball, not have to worry about much, um, but just playing ball. So I was really grateful that day. Majority of the people um, that had a huge impact on me were people that I met um, in MD Anderson during that time, whether it was patients, um, the janitorial staff, um, the nurses that were there with me every night, um, and my doctors, but mainly patients. I think um, there were definitely a countless number of people that come to mind um, that really impacted me and, and gave me a lot. Yeah, I feel 110% actually um, over the year. Um, I feel better than I did. Um, I feel better now than I ever did in college, and I feel better than I was when I got di like before I got diagnosed. So I feel 110% for sure. So, so what, what was that moment like you know, after the Madison when you get ready to last treatment to ring that bell? What was that, what was that, got to that moment? What was it like for you and now where you are now? Um, that moment was special. Um, it seemed to be more special for the people around me, but it was extremely special for me just because, um, I mean, when you get diagnosed and you're in the hospital, you don't really have an end clock. You're not, you just, the best you can really do is just take it day by day and go stack brick by brick. So you're never really looking too far down the head of the road when you're there. Um, the pa other patients and I, we were just worried about um, winning our fight every day, like day by day. And when it got to the end, you kind of look up and you're like, damn, we accumulated a lot of treatments and a lot of days and that's kind of when you start thinking about it but um, I think going into that day was kind of the same thing for me I was just winning the next day um I always feel like I'm comfortable I feel like um, I beat the toughest battle and now living and being me is kind of just to be free and be confident in myself and my body of work and who I am. Um, so I don't think, like of course there's a, a learning curve of learning the plays, game with the team, chemistry and all of that, but as far as comfort in myself and my game, um, I have that completely. You played with a couple more guys. You played with the number one and number two overall selection in this past draft. What are the similarities you see between Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud? Um, they're both great quarterbacks, I would say. I guess if you want to say similarities, they're both great quarterbacks. Um, aside from that, they're two individual people. Um, so there's a lot of differences there as well because they have completely different personalities and stuff like that. But as far as their ability to play ball, they're both great at it. Before you got diagnosed, were you sick at all? Did you have any symptoms or was this a complete surprise? Um, yeah, there was, which is why I always encourage people to get checked up and do all those things the hospital requires. Um, I'll always be for that. Um, I probably thought I had a cold. Um, I probably thought I had a cold or something for like a week or two, headaches um, and stuff like that. There were a couple symptoms um, before. It's not like it just, I woke up one day and it caught me out the blue. But yeah, leading up to it, I was definitely starting to feel a little uh, ill. Last two, Cole and DJ. Johnny, you and everyone else were talking about other patients who were going through the same battle, but you come from different lifestyles, different journeys. What was the biggest <coughs> lesson you took away about going through this treatment process with everyone who has just a completely different story than you? Um, yeah, the biggest thing I took away was just kind of to show up and fight, right? 
like we kind of understand and we kind of take for granted life and everything we have to do or everything we get to do during a day. But then when it's taken away from you, whether you're young or old in the hospital, you kind of realize that um, you people see clearly what's important to them and who's important to them, right? Their family, their life, regardless of what they were complaining about or what stresses you have, you realize that um, the biggest gift you got is like your breath and your heartbeat. So. Um, the biggest thing I took away was that, like, regardless of age, size, where you came from, everybody had to wake up and fight every day. So um, just keeping that and keeping that gratitude in the forefront of your mind for me will um, always be a good thing. DJ, you, you mentioned you didn't, initially you didn't know if you would be able to make it back. Were there any moments where you thought, you know, this situation could have been fatal, and how did you get through that process mentally? Um, yeah, for sure. I guess an answer to tie into that is faith, right? Definitely, especially for my kind APO, acute promyelocytic leukemia, which is um, one of the most curable forms of cancer, but very tough at the beginning. So I was blessed and very grateful to have one of the most curable forms of cancer. As y'all see, like I didn't lose my hair and a lot of stuff like that. Um, so I was very grateful and very blessed for that. But at the, at the very beginning of it, when your diagnosis is a very tough part, um, it's the most like critical part. Um, and I think all of that was just my faith, that you can only rely on your faith in those situations. and, and um, in situations when you're faced to for, um, you're forced to be faced with your own mortality, you see um, what it is you really believe in and who it is you really believe in. Um, so my faith in God is really what kept me comfortable and in and, and a belief that this was all for uh, a greater purpose and a bigger reason. All right, a great conversation there at the podium from John Mechie the third Thursday after practice. Again, feel good story, no doubt. Uh, from training camp so far. Also had the chance to catch up with uh, right tackle Titus Howard yesterday uh, on Thursday as well. Coming off that, got the contract recently, one of the best right tackles in all of football. He says he's part of a great offensive line. On the other end, left tackle, you got Laramie Tunsil. This is a good group up front, and they need that O-line to deliver big time and protect for what will likely be C.J. Stroud, the starting quarterback. Here's some of the conversation I had with Titus Howard. All right, here at Texas training camp uh, with the big fella here, the right tackle, Titus Howard. Uh, I want to ask you, I ask some players all this question. This heat, how, how much weight do you lose on a given workout? Oh, uh, man, you, <laughs> it, I think for guys that range anywhere from 45 pounds, then you got guys that will lose 10 to 12 pounds of practice. Wow. I'm more in that like five pounds, six pounds. I'm not, I'm not like a heavy sweater, but I sweat a lot, but I'm more yeah. of a salty sweater, so I got to get, you know, the right stuff back in me. But, um, Guys, I, I've seen guys like Charlie Haight lose like 13, 14 pounds in one practice. That's crazy, crazy. man. Yeah. So y'all really have to, whatever the work you're putting on out here, the training staff's got to have it ready to get, when you get back in that building, you got to replenish. They do a great job. Lad, rolling, all they do a good job of, you know, keeping us hydrated, all the stuff we need for our body to recover. Yeah. Because like I said, uh, it's, no, it's nothing like this. I practice in a lot of different states. There's nothing like this Texas heat, man. It's different. I was going to ask you, but is this particular stretch we're in right now, it's it's, it's kind of ramping up it's a little bit. It's ramping up, man. It was, like today, it was hot. It was hot today, <laughs> you know. But it's a grind, man. I feel like uh, mentally it builds you, you know, for uh, the season. Like if you can go out here and practice this every day, mentally it's frustrated. It, uh, trans it transitions and translates like we on the field. It's fourth down. Yeah. You're tired. Uh, we need, you know, a play. We need a uh, first down. Uh, so mentally, you already there because you've been out here pressing this heat every day at training camp. A few more questions. Uh, just in general, it's what a week, little over a weekend at camp. How's this old line coming together right now with the work you guys are putting in? We're gelling pretty good. Uh, we got a lot of, you know, good vets on the O line. Uh, guys putting in the work, man. We got the young guys coming in and you know learning from us, and they they they, they stepping up. Like today, uh, Scott got hurt. 
just came in. He stepped up. He's sit, you know, he's quarterback of the offensive line. He's getting us right on everywhere we need to be. Uh, you know, it was, it was real motivating to see him come in and step up the way he did today. The camaraderie seems like it's out there. Everybody's kind of you're pulling for one another. You're pushing one another. That's kind of what the camp's all about, right? Yes, sir. It is. Uh, we got you know one of the best offensive line in the league, and uh, you know we 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 are, we're so cool off the field. It makes it easy for us on the field. Lastly, uh, the, the, the Miko impact and just the way he's running things out here and you guys are feeding off his energy. How cool has that been so far a week It's cool camp? because, uh, you know, D'Amico's been here. He, he's, he's been a Texan. Uh, he know what it is to go through this training camp. He know what it, be, it is to be a successful player in this league. So, like, uh, one of the things I uh, like about him is that uh, when he talks, you know, uh, you listen. It, it, it's, you know, you want to lock in and hear what he's saying. And I think all the guys on the team realize that, and we buy in because he's been here, he's done it at a high level, and we just, you know, want to play for him and be the best team we possibly can for the fans, you know, to win some games this year. Good to catch up, brother. Yes, Appreciate sir. it. Titus yes, Howard, right tackle, Texas. All right, great chat there with Titus Howard. Man, that guy is big, up close, but a generally nice guy and a heck of a football player, right tackle for the Houston Texans. All right, we're going to take a break on Houston Sports Weekly. When we come back, uh, we're going to talk some Astros. Ari Alexander takes over segment two of Houston Sports Weekly. When we come back, don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Houston Sports Weekly. I am Ari Alexander. In segment two, we're going to be talking about the Astros, the trade deadline that passed, how the Astros did. Obviously, uh, if you're watching this, you know that Justin Verlander is on the Astros. We'll uh, have uh, a section of the press conference that Verlander gave this week uh, in New York. He is set to pitch this weekend for the Astros against the New York Yankees and a big return and uh, happy returns for Justin Verlander. So first of all, let's talk about the deadline. The Astros made two major moves. The first one, a trade for Kendall Graveman, the former Astro reliever. They traded for him in 2021 from the Mariners. He was a big part of that 2021 um, AL championship team that made the World Series against the Braves. He did not re-sign with the Astros in free agency in 2022. Perfectly understandable on all sides. He got his money. The Astros uh, had other ways to build the bullpen. They also got Rafael Montero in that trade, and he was excellent in 2022. Astros won the World Series. This season... They just don't have quite as many bullpen arms who are as reliable, meaning they've used the same four guys in high leverage. Ryan Presley, Brian Abreu, Phil Maton, Hector Neris. And they are overworked. Neris uh, has been excellent, but he's had a couple outings now uh, where not as you know dominant as he was. Maton has been struggling for a couple weeks after being really good for the first couple months of the season. Presley... Uh, is mostly excellent. Uh, Presley's kind of at his usual, right? Like he's great. Eight or nine straight games, he'll have the one bad blow-up game or a bad week, and then he's back to being great. So he is what he is. And then uh, Brian Abreu is the uh, same thing as Presley, where he'll go six, seven straight games being really good, and he'll have a bad outing. And then, uh, But for the most part, these guys, I think you give them the proper rest. You add to the bullpen depth with Kendall Graveman. The Astros largely should have one of the better bullpens in baseball. The starting rotation has been uh, obviously a big point of contention for the Astros uh, throughout much of the season. Injuries. They had six guys ready to go before the season started. Lance McCullers Jr. has missed the whole season. Luis Garcia is out for the season. Jose Urquidy has missed a long, long time. Uh, Urquidy is set to be back. 
and that puts the Astros at a rotation of uh, some of the usual guys, right? Framber Valdez is the ace. Christian Javier has been the two, but Javier has struggled largely um, lately. Then you have J.P. France in that rotation. He's been really good. Then you have Jose Urquidy and now and Hunter Brown, the rookie, and then now you add Justin Verlander to the mix. Going back to the Mets, who... As most of y'all know, I'm a Mets fan. They, I mean, I've kind of given up on it at least six weeks ago. They, they've been cooked. So what they've done is they signed all these high-dollar free agents, guys like Verlander, guys like Max Scherzer, knowing that they will not be competing for the NL East or even a, a wild-card spot this year. What they've done is sold off all their expensive players, but they're picking up a lot of the money on those deals to make sure that they get better prospects and trades. So the Mets started the sell-off getting rid of David Robertson uh, to the Marlins, who has been their closer this year with Edwin Diaz being hurt. And then they got back a couple of prospects and cut paid some of his salary. Then they sent Max Scherzer to the Rangers, picking up most of his salary and got back uh, Luis Angel Acuna Jr., Ronald Acuna's, uh, or Luis Angel Acuna, Ronald Acuna Jr.'s brother, um, who's considered to be a really good prospect. And then they did the same thing with the Astros, where they sent Justin Verlander, who's made, what, 16 starts for the Mets total, uh, going to be a great immaculate grid guy someday. Um, they sent him back to the Mets, or they sent him back to the Astros. They picked up 54 million of the 93 or whatever that he's supposed to be paid over the next two years plus his vesting option in 2025. And then um, they uh, got back two of the Astros' top prospects: Ryan Clifford, the outfielder who was in A plus ball in High A. And uh, Drew Gilbert, who's generally considered to be the Astros' number one prospect in Double A, now playing uh, for the Binghamton Rumble Ponies in the Mets system. But the Astros get Justin Verlander back, which is huge. So let's uh, let's see what Verlander had to say in his news conference in New York. Yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, this when um, after I had some conversations with Billy and Steve um, about next season. Uh, and their plans, I think, uh, you know, entertaining the idea of a trade and, and, and waiving my no-trade clause. I think Houston was, um, you know, the number one choice for me, The you know, just knowing these guys so well and, um, you know, having a chance to win, um, you know, the familiarity and, um, you know, had such a great time here. So, yeah, um, you know, that was, uh, yeah, number one choice. Okay, Chandler. Justin, how much did your relationship with Jim Crane kind of influence this and your your desire and your want to come back? I mean, a lot. You know, I think it's you know, when you're gathering the information, um, and that's all you can do as a player, right, in this situation with the no-trade clauses. I try not to get too far ahead of myself. I try to gather as much information as possible and then, and then make an educated decision. Um, you know, everything goes into that bucket when you're gathering information. My relationship with Jim, my relationship with my teammates, the coaching staff, uh, familiarity with Houston and the fan base and spring training location, you know, all of it is what really went into the, my thought process um, leading up to this. Okay, Matt Young, then we'll open it up to questions. After that. Usually your first day with a new team, it takes some getting used to. It looked like you were just back at home in the clubhouse. Did it yeah. feel any different for you at all? Um, I mean, it's exciting, you know, seeing all the guys again. And, um, you know, obviously uh, once the trade went through, talked to a bunch of the guys on the phone and text message and just, um, you know, it, 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 it feels a little weird because it hasn't been that long. So it feels like... 
um, you know, you don't you don't miss a beat, and you're right back in the locker room. But on the other hand, there's this whole segment that happened. Um, so, uh, you know, here I am, you know, still staying in my apartment in New York. Uh, you know, it's um, it's a really odd feeling. Um, yeah, hard to explain. Okay, over here, and then David, right here. Just did the Mets go with come with, come to you about any other teams? I mean, I kind of knew as much as you guys did, to be honest. I, I'm, you know, I, I think, um, you know, when, when, like I said, after I, after speaking with Steve and Billy, um, and I, I really kind of opened it up um, and said, you know, if this is the direction that, that you think is best for the organization, um, I'm not on a long-term deal. Things are different. If I was on a long-term deal, you know, I've heard some of the comments like Francisco was making about, you know, being committed to winning. Um, you know, if the, if the vision super short term wasn't we're going to try to win a championship and not that they're not trying to win, but um, not going to take the same tactic um, next year, then, um, yeah, I, I would like the opportunity to, to go to a, a, a team that was going to fight for a championship this year and, and next. Um, and clearly with the trading of Robertson and, and Max, the, the picture for this year and next year was kind of shifting quickly. So, um, yeah, I... I it, it, I didn't have to veto anything, and I didn't have them come to me and say uh, this team or that team. I just saw a lot of the same stuff that you guys saw with with an interest. Uh, and, and I did speak to Billy, and he was telling me who was reaching out and who did have interest, and that aligned with um, the, how the media was reporting things. Um, I don't know how you guys get your information, but you got it. And um, did how would you just kind of sum up the you know <sighs> guys? Yeah. That's our thought to be a World Series contender, and then they end up yeah. selling off. How would you just describe just the turn of events? I don't I, – I, good question. I, I haven't really come to terms with it. It's um, – I don't think anybody saw this coming. Um, you know, you commit to a team, and you, you commit to, to trying to win a, a championship there, and um, that's your vision, right? You're all in. And then a few months later, uh, you know, you're back with the team you were with the last season, and um, – you know, I feel like I was just really starting to get settled in the city and my apartment and my family was really getting used to things here. You know, you start building a life off the field. Um, you know, you, build, you try to build a life in the city that you're in and you start getting comfortable and you make friends. And um, so that part is really difficult. It's a lot on the family. Um, you know, I think uh, when 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 you're looking at things from a, there's like two different lenses. There's the baseball lens and there's the family lens, right? And um, even though we, we have a lot of familiarity in Houston and, and know the city and the fans and everything, it's, you know, we don't have a place there anymore. And, and it's just a lot on the family to get up and move in the middle of the season. And, um, you know, through through the baseball lens, it's super exciting, you know, to 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 join my friends again and, and a team that's fighting for a championship and in a, and in a you know, really intense run coming down the stretch i mean that's what you play a game for and when i sit down and talk with my wife about things that's you know that's why we're here and um you know you play this game to to win and win championships so ultimately that's what's the decision maker and the the the, the factor that goes into it but once the decision's made and the dust settles it's a, you know, it's a lot it's a lot on the family a lot of moving pieces now and a lot of logistics that you have to figure out and um you know you just make it work Verlander happy to be back, but uh, you can see that, you know, family is a big part of what matters to him. The guy's 40, the guy, you know, doesn't want to relocate a whole bunch. I guess he got rid of his place in Houston. We'll have to find a new place now. Um, you know, he's been here 
for a long time, left briefly, now back. But he's in Houston for the rest of 2023, which sets up, I think, the Astros' playoff rotation really good as long as Javier can sort of get fixed. I mean, Framer Valdez just threw a no-hitter. Justin Verlander is your number two starter. I, I know he's ace, whatever. To me, he is the number two starter for the Astros. Framber Valdez has really separated himself. Uh, and then you have Christian Javier as a three. And then for playoff starts in that four spot, you are now battling between J.P. France, who has a sub-three ERA. Hunter Brown, who has the best stuff of the bunch. And Jose Arquiti, who has a decent amount of uh, playoff experience and uh, a really good playoff start, a World Series start in 2019. So I think the Astros have fixed their depth. No more Ronel Blanco. No more uh, Brandon Belak. You can now hold out hope that your guys, the six that you have now, can cover most of the innings uh, for the Astros, and, and then maybe you can bring along Spencer Arigetti, the top pitching prospect for Houston, and use him in a spot start down the line. The Astros are now fully healthy, except for Michael Brantley, and the lineup pretty much ready to go. The only thing I think that they can add is to the bench. I know that uh, Dana Brown has mentioned a bunch of times they were engaged on left-handed hitters. The teams they were talking to wanted guys in the Major League roster. I would imagine Chas McCormick's name came up. Chas McCormick has been incredible. He should have won AL uh, Player of the Month. He's not going anywhere. He's been one of the better hitters in all of baseball and has played an excellent center field. Um, so they didn't want to trade any guys in the Major League roster, which is makes perfect sense. Two guys that I want to bring up whose names are out there. You want a left-handed hitter? Yes, these guys haven't had a good year, but they are coming cheap. Corey Dickerson, he was at the Nationals all year. Uh, I heard from a league source this week as the trade deadline was coming that they would trade him for, quote, literally anything, and then they released him. So... That info was good. Uh, so he's available. Corey Dickerson's available for a minor league contract. You can get him for nothing and then pay him league minimum throughout the rest of the year. Uh, again, it's just all based on the scouting of what the Astros see in him. Another name I want to bring up, Willie Calhoun. He'd been on the Yankees. He was granted release. Same thing. Uh, he's not having a good year. He's had a, an underwhelming career. He's a guy that was at one point a top prospect. But he's hitting just under 100 OPS plus, meaning he's been just slightly below average. Maybe maybe the Astros can fix him. Maybe the Astros can use Corey Dickerson. Both these guys have some pop. Both these guys are having bad years. But why not take a shot? Or bring up John Singleton, crushing it in AAA right now. Put J.J. Matajevic back on the uh, the 40-man roster. Bring up Matajevic. Um, you gave a shot to Bly Madris. It didn't quite work out. Give Singleton a shot. Give Matajevic a shot. Take a look at Corey Dickerson. Take a look at uh, at Willie Calhoun. I think there are some options. They're obviously not Cody Bellinger. They're not amazing options, but uh, there's something. So this has been Houston Sports Weekly. The Astros continue to fight for the AL West, and now they got Justin Verlander in tow. So thanks a lot for watching listening on KPRC2+, and click to Houston.com.